All right, let's start. So I've been thinking about this idea um, of uh, the American dream and who killed the American dream and uh, what, do, what do we do about these people. So the first American dream um, is the Jeffersonian dream of um, New Jerusalem. It has this religious impetus, uh, very agrarian society. And it was driven by this hope from, like, there was, uh, with the interactions with machines. So, American, Protestant country, um, the, the printing press represents, the machines represent sort of like this liberation opportunity. Um, and this is very linked to the American dream, given the Protestant country, uh, the, the Protestant nature of the country. So you have, uh, the problem is you have the close on the frontier. And that's, this is when the, when the dream starts to, to get damaged and to get hurt. Um, so you, the, the country goes from this wide open space of incredible opportunities to the West. And it just gets filled. Um, so there's this closing of a uh, sort of like territorial frontier and also where this world one in which there's this hope with the machines about the machines goes away so you start having uh, the automatization of war with machines you have tanks you have automatic weapons you have chemical weapons you have flamethrowers so man sees the world change uh, as the, like how destructive can machines be uh, so this dream hopeful dream gets uh gets killed so what it was sort of like this spiral uh very religious in in the imagery also not like looking towards god uh in building with new technologies and new techniques uh, becomes a nightmare, a downward spiral, um, and creates this point in time in which uh, there's this new vision of science that takes over. Uh, it is sort of like it's completely in the zeitgeist. It is entropy, and that everything dissipates, and there's nothing we can do about it. And it just keeps going throughout time. Uh, so we both don't control time or space, and as entropy says, you just everything dies at the end, um, and we're just going towards it. So that's sort of like the 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 death of the first American dream, the New Jerusalem, and it creates this period in America uh, in which. Um, Yeah, what, what killed the first American dream? Yeah, um, the first American dream gets, uh, gets killed by the closing of the frontier and the, the disillusionment with machines. And there's this great quote from Jeffrey Steinberg, an essayist. Um, the generation accept 
that generation accepted the scream cosmology, even while they lamented the loss of innocence and confidence, which, is, which isolated them from the optimism from their forefathers. So it creates this period in time in which um, there's only present, there's no future, and there's no past. They don't want to look to the past, and uh, they're scared for the future. So it creates sort of like this mania of the present, uh, the jazz age. And in this period, a second American dream uh, gets it's born, and very different from the first one. And it's represented in The Great Gatsby. And, well, the, the, the author is just, these points are important in which um, he, he sees the war, the war machine up close. He fights in World War I. He is from the Midwest and as descendants of people that move there looking for opportunity and looking for the frontier. He's a descendant from pioneers. So in this novel, the move from instead of going west and, and going east of the character of Jay Gatsby, it's, uh, there's this great point from also Jeffrey makes, uh, says, the lure of the east represents a profound displacement of the American dream, a turning back upon itself of the historic pilgrimage towards the frontier, which had created and sustained that dream. Gatsby, as the novel, symbolically suggests an attempt to recapture the American dream by drawing near to its source, to make new start by getting back to what Robert Frost calls the beginning of beginnings. So in this novel, most people, a lot of people have seen the movie, so it's just fitting to put Leo there. Jay Gatsby is the personification of the American dream in the novel. And what does Gatsby want? Which is to ask, what is the American dream? What is Gatsby dreaming about? There's a question you could say that is wealth. Um, and there's aspect to it. Uh, in the American dream, you definitely want to get material wealth but it's definitely not the entirety of the dream. It's probably just a piece of it, maybe, if at all. So if it's not wealth, what does Gatsby want? Well, you can say he wants to grow. This is, I think, closer, but not exactly white, right? In the sense that, uh, well, he wants to grow from the past, right? He wants to go back to this point in which he meets this woman. They fall in love. And, um, and it's before he goes to war, so he doesn't lose her to another guy. So that he wants to grow from the past. That's uh, probably a better answer. But I, I, I think the girl is only tangential. It's actually not about the girl. Uh, it's about returning. But it's not as most people, especially uh, people that are inclined to be quote-unquote conservative or traditional, are thinking of it, I don't think. But rather, 
he wants a different type of return. I've gotten all these things for her. I've gotten all these things for her. Now she just, she just wants to run away. <laughs> she even wants to leave that. Jay, you can't repeat the past. Can't repeat the past? No. Why, of course you can. Of course you can. I've got so, what, there's, there's a clear question of, does he want to repeat the past? Does he want to go back, back to the past? Does he want to repeat the past? Does he want to be in the past? Does he want the future to look like the past? It seems like all those things are different questions, but uh, none of them are right. Uh, it seems from the Jeffrey paper that talks about Gatsby that he wants to watch the movie in reverse. And what do I mean by that? Uh, at the end of the novel, well, Jay, he dies. Uh, it's a tragic end. And so going back to the past and trying to relieve it, uh, relive through the whole thing, like he knows, we know where it's going to end. It's not, it's not what he wants, definitely. And he also doesn't want to leave like entirety in the capsule in the past. Um, there's, a, the, the, there's a reason he wants to go back to the past in a way. He wants to fix a broken promise that he made. Not, I don't think, actually to the girl, but to himself. If I could just... Get back to the star. If I could just get back to the star, I could find it again. Some vision of himself that he had put into loving Daisy. I knew it was a great mistake for a man like me to fall in love. I'm only 32. I might still be a great man if I could forget that I once lost Daisy, but my life, old sport, my life. Life has got to be like this. It's got to keep going up. She has to go to Tom and tell him that she never loved him. I just need to give her more time, old sport. More time. I could just... So there are important, some important points here. And he says he, he wants to get back to the start. If I can only just get back to the start. I can find it again. Meaning the way out. And... Uh, Nick Carraway makes this great point of like some vision of himself that he put into loving Daisy. It's not about loving Daisy. It's the, uh, the vision of himself that got crystallized into Daisy. Uh, it was the great, great acting from Leo of saying, my life holds sport. My life has to keep going up. It has to be like this. So it's definitely about going up 
And so if we already know that the end is going to be this tragedy, it only makes sense that, that what he wants is like to keep going up is to go from the end to the beginning to watch the movie in reverse um, and fix this problem in the past in which things um, took the wrong turn in some way. And so in a way, but make, make it so that the, the, the mistake never existed, actually. That's why he says uh, in the novel, it doesn't matter anymore. Just tell him the truth, that you never loved him, and it's all wiped out forever. Wiped out forever. It's about making the mistake not to have been existed at all. And the, in, in this, this sense of what he's trying to fight is, again, this, this entropy uh, that is very much permeated in the culture when the novel is written. Uh, yeah, that just things are going to decay and through the passing of time, and it's not only our lives, but the entire universe. There's the heat death of the universe. And that's sort of like this thing to fight in a way. Not only in our lives, but in, in, in the entirety of existence. And this seems to, I think, get encapsulated into this frontier spirit of trying to get back to the start and trying to find it again and make it, uh, make the mistake be wiped out forever. And that's very much animated by hope, wonder, and adventure. This gets, I think, the best representation into the frontier of space and trying to pierce through the sky. There's a, a great point from Jeffrey here. I became aware of the old island here, that flower once for Dutch sailors' eyes, a fresh green breast of the new world. It's vanished trees, the trees that had made way for Gatsby's house had once pondered in whispers to the last and greatest of all human dreams. For a transitory enchanted moment, man must have held his breath in the presence of this continent. Compelled into an aesthetic contemplation he neither understood nor desired. Face to face, for the last time in history, with something commensurate to his capacity for wonder. I, I, this, this is a great point also that it's associated, I think, with wonder and the capacity of man within nature too. Because the, the vanished trees says, the trees that had made way for Gatsby's house. But his house is beautiful. That's part of the wonder too. And it makes the place also beautiful. It's not a tragedy that the tre trees got chopped 
stuff. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's sort of like this angle of trying to coerce this impetus for the environment to try to make this case also that Gatsby made this huge mistake by building this house, which I don't think that's true. The house is beautiful. And this is a problem in which America of today, well, that dream doesn't get, uh, doesn't come to fruition. So who kills the screen? Who kills Gatsby? This is um, now the rest of this argument, line of thinking is my own concoction. Who kills the American dream? Let's see. Who kills Gatsby? So the first candidate of who killed the American dream, who kills Gatsby, is Wilson. Who is this man? Who does he represent? Well, the proletariat, poor people, lower class. And, uh, well, the point being made is question being asked, did the proletarian kill the American dream? Did they rise uh, to fight all the oppression and all the terrible things that the American dream has done to them? I actually don't think this is the case. Wilson is not to blame. Why? Because he is a victim too of the 
of this, this tragedy. He kills himself. That's, that, this, this is a terrible situation. He doesn't want to kill the American dream. He's in this desperate situation in which he lost everything he had. He grabs a gun. The proletarian grabs the gun, kills the American dream, and then kills itself. So I don't, I don't think the proletariat is to blame for the death of the American dream. Who is to blame? Why did Wilson kill Gatsby? I mean, he, he was the, the, the foot soldier, yes. He pulled the trigger, yes. But to blame him, I think it's not thinking clear enough about the problem of the death of the American dream. So the reason he kills Gatsby is because he, his wife was cheating on him. Okay, so let's go to candidate number two of who's responsible for killing the American dream. Murder. Who is she? Who is this person? What does she represent? It's clear that, well, she is very um, loud. He likes, she likes parties. Uh, she sleeps around uh, with multiple men. Many of them are married. Um, so who is she? Who does she represent? Well, feminism, clearly. And the question being made here is, did feminism kill the American dream? I actually don't <laughs> blame feminism for the death of the American dream. That woman is a victim too of this whole tragedy. Today's my birthday. Happy birthday. 30, the promise of a decade of loneliness. The formidable stroke of 30 died away as Gatsby and Daisy drove on through the cooling twilight towards death. Don't you lie to me! Hey, where'd you get these from? Fool God! God sees everything! Ah! So, Myrtle, the feminists, are a victim too in this scenario, in this tragedy of the death of the American dream. They're not to blame. 
and we should investigate to who harmed them, who kills Myrtle, who is to blame. See any trouble out on the road? That woman you ran down is dead, Jay. I thought so. I I told Daisy that I thought Daisy, that's the show. Do you hear yourself? How could you? How Stop. could you do that? What's wrong with you? You're nothing but a goddamn coward! Keep your voice down, old one, please. There was no point in Jay. No, no point! No, no point! What about up. that woman? No, no point. She was she was she was killed instantly. Yes, it ripped her open. I was there. I saw her. I understand. I understand. It was, it was my fault. It was my fault, this woman. She rushed out at us as if she was... As if she was trying to speak to us. It all happened so quickly. She tried... I tried to turn she, time, but... It was Daisy. She thought that driving would steady her. But this woman, she rushed out at us. It all happened so quickly. It wasn't her fault, you see. know that Daisy was driving. Promise me. You see any trouble? So, we arrive at the third candidate for who's to blame, which is Daisy. Who is this woman? Who does she represent? My guess is um, She's an affluent white female liberal. She probably went to a very high-end school, with Ivy League school. She probably reads New York Times. She lives on a coast. This is the Daisy character. And, well... Here, the angle is not she directly blamed for the death of Gatsby, the, the death of the American dream, but rather the death of Myrtle that creates a chain effect, right? A chain reaction. And there's this dynamic that could be an explanation, this intersexual competition between different women, either like older and younger or richer and poor, um, whatever division you want to make. Um, and a lot of it is driven probably by the dating market. But it's, here's, here's, here's an, 
clear example of basically body positivity for D and health and fitness for me. You get uh, the oversized model for one group. Let's push that propaganda narrative. But for us, uh, for us as Equinox, for us is like we, we actually make ourselves a gift to the world, as the ad says, right? So is this, the question here is, is this tension, is this sort of like clear, like, um, conflict between those two groups? Is that the dynamic that creates this chain reaction? Uh, I don't think so. It's definitely not a good thing, but uh, Gatsby doesn't blame Daisy. He actually tries to take the fall for her. This, this is probably, you can make this point of like, he's trying to, uh, even though she made some mistakes, probably not intentional, he's trying to uh, just put that to the side so he could have her. He could just get, a, get away from the problem. Uh, there's probably a sense of like uh, American men trying to uh, look the other way when it comes to different problems with American women they're trying to date uh, with the hope that well as long as I can get a family uh, and uh, have a good life like I know she made mistakes uh, I'll, I'll look past that probably there's some analogy to be made there too but Gatsby definitely doesn't blame her. Uh, and he wants to take the fall for her. And so we, 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 we need to go back to this question of why does Wilson kill Gatsby then? Because none of those persons that we went through, all those, all those people that we went through are to blame really. The reason that Gatsby gets killed, that Wilson kills Gatsby, is because Buchanan lied. He lied about the affair, he lied about the car that killed Myrtle. So he doesn't get caught in his lies. He just lied to everyone. So we arrive at Candidate for Tom Buchanan. Who is he in our society today? Well, he's a old money globalist elite. He does stuff like he hops around the world, creating trouble. In the novel, he lives in Chicago, creates trouble, leaves. Uh, then goes to London, there's a bunch of other trouble as soon as like it's not a good place to be because of all the trouble he created, he leaves again. He has this pattern that's completely deracinated from where he lives and just uh, looks for his own interest and places abroad. Here there's another good point on how Buchanan is sort of obsessed about race and it's very uncomfortable. 
not that it, I think the thing to emphasize here is that it's not that he's quote unquote what would think we would think today as racist, but rather I think the emphasis is that he's obsessed about it. Like everyone else in the novel, like Gatsby, uh, Nick Haraway, Daisy, they probably do agree with him on like interracial marriage. But the reason that they are very appalled is because he's obsessed and just like brings it up all the time. It's like, dude, you're making, you're scaring the hose. Like, this is not, uh, this is, is this very uncomfortable? And it's do, it's, there's this quite interesting similarity with the globalists of today. They're obsessed about race. It's not that it's a conflicting view from the, from the, from the rest of the population. I would probably agree with most of what they think about international marriage, like, oh, like, is it okay if people get married? Yes, sure. The thing that sort of like makes the other crowd uncomfortable is that they're obsessed about it. And it's all the time. It's all being brought up in all these moments that don't need to be brought up. It just makes everyone uncomfortable. So there's two perils about the obsession about race. Uh, that I think is also interesting to to see. He uses also his power to influence the people around him. Daisy sort of becomes this traitor. The that doesn't even show up to the death and pay respects for the death of the American dream. So in this this scenario is the white influence. Uh, female liberal that just doesn't care about the death of the American dream. She's just like got changed by this manipulation from Buchanan. The other women, lower class, get corrupted into promiscuity by the globalists. And he ruins the lives of the poor and he lies to them about who actually did it. And they go out and kill the, the goose that laid the golden egg. Kills the American dream. And then out of desperation, they kill themselves. And, well, the globalist doesn't care because what's going to happen next? He just packs up and leaves. He just goes elsewhere like he always does. And... Gatsby takes the blame for everything. The American dream takes the blame for all these tragedies. So I think the, this is the, the main driving thing is that there's this conflicting rise of this new rich in the old money. It's, Mr. Gatsby, exactly who are you? You see, I have made a small investigation into your affairs. You're one of my Wolfsheim's bunch. Please, let's go home. See, he and this Wolfsheim, they bought up a lot of drugstores and sold bootlegged alcohol over the counter. What about it, old sport? Don't you call me old sport. 
And this drugstore business is just small change compared to this bomb stunt that you and Wolfsheim have got going on. Your friend Walter Chase isn't too proud to come in on this. Oh, I think you've got some thought. How does a reputable banker like Walter Chase find himself up to his eyeballs in debt tell you how. to a little kite like Wolfsheim? It's called greed, old sport. Mm, that's right. And you have half of Wall Street out there swilling your free booze at that fun park every weekend. I'm surprised he hasn't tried to drag you in. My God, he has. He's got nothing to do with it. With your little racket. Daisy. Daisy. Can't you see who this guy is? With his house, and his parties, and his fancy clothes. Here's just the front for Wolfshine, a gangster, to get his claws into respectable folk like Walter Chase. The only respectable thing about you, old sport, is your money. Your money, that's it. I've just as much as you, that means we're equal. Oh, no, no. We're different. I am, they are, she is. We're all different from you. You see, we were born different. It's in our blood. We have nothing that we do, we are. Say, a steal, a dream up. Yeah, take Girl like this. You shut up! Shut up! You shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Gatsby looked in that moment as if he had killed a man. <laughs> So, who's Gatsby today if Tom Buchanan is the old money globalist elite? Well, Gatsby then is the tech pro. He's being accused of running Ponzi's. Um, well, and it's just constant fighting and trying to create this bad reputation about him. And there are more points on how Gatsby is, is a tech pro. Um, he gets mocked about how he dresses. Yeah, the man in the pink suit went to Oxford, sure. Yeah, the guy in the hoodie is going, going to make a billion dollar business, sure. Um, and, and, and it's true. Of course, there's like also the caveat too that uh, Gatsby uh, goes to Oxford for a semester, at least in the movie. Uh, he goes for a semester because he's enrolled in the military and he gets to go and so it's, uh, as a treat, I guess, from being in the military. You can throw the parallel and it's like, yeah, a bunch of these guys, yeah, you went to Harvard 
first semester, bro. You dropped out. Um, so that's that's one. He's also constantly changing jobs. In the novel, he says, well, I've been in several things, he corrected himself. I was in the drug business and I was in the oil business. But now, but not, I'm, I'm not either in, in, in either one now. And that compares too. Like the, the average software engineer is there for 12 months at their job. You have the parallel too in the startup world in which is the, the founder that is pivoting, trying to find the product that really sticks in the market, or the VCs are pushing their portfolio companies to, to pivot into the new thing. Both are attacked by the press constantly. They do also make probably not the best choices in investing in these weird gadgets that maybe they don't actually are worth it. But also, Gatsby says, great line, I like old things that are modern. And also there's a sense that like many of the tech pros are trying to revive all technologies that, well, they wonder, what if we, we can make them work today? What if we can make travel at the speed of sound go back into the mainstream? He's also always talking like he's pitching. And you can see how in this clip, he talks so fast. At first, Nick Carraway is like, okay, this guy is clearly scamming me. Like, it's too much. And at the end, he's just completely convinced of this grandiose story that he's telling. And many of the startup people can definitely, can definitely relate to this. What is your opinion of me anyhow? My opinion? Yes, yes, your opinion. I don't want you to get the wrong impression from all these, from all these bizarre accusations you must be hearing. A pack of lies, I guarantee you. You've heard the story. Oh, well, I will tell you God's truth. God's truth about myself. I'm the son of some very wealthy people from the Middle West. Sadly, all of them are dead now. I was brought up in America, but educated at Oxford because all my ancestors have been educated there for many years. You see, it's a family tradition. The way he spoke, no wonder people thought he was lying. After my family died, I ran into a great deal of money. After that, I lived like a young prince in all the capitals of Europe. Oh, Europe! Yes, Europe! Paris, Venice, Rome, Vienna, Zurich, Helsinki, Moscow, Istanbul. Collecting jewels, chiefly rubies. Hunting big game, painting little things for myself only. Just when I thought it couldn't be any more fantastical. Then came the war, old sport. He became a war hero, single-handedly defeating the German army. In the Argonne Forest, I took two machine gun detachments so far outnumbered five to one. There's a half a mile gap on either side of the infantry couldn't advance. So we stayed there two days and we saw a pile of dead. 130 men with only 16 Lewis guns. Every Allied government gave me a medal, even Montenegro. Even Montenegro. Here, that's from Montenegro. Major Jay Gatsby for Valor Extraordinary. Valor Extraordinary. That's right. <laughs> and this is something I always carry with me, a souvenir of Oxford days. 
That was taken in Trinity Quad. The man on my left is now the Earl of Doncaster. What could I say? The photograph was undoubtedly authentic. Could it all be true? But of course you don't need to take my word for it, old sport. At lunch today, I'm going to introduce you to one of New York's most distinguished businessmen, a Mr. Meyer Wolfshine, my good friend. And he will confirm all I have told you and vouch for my good character. Oh, I'm sure that's not necessary. Oh, but it is, though. See, I thought you were to know something about my life. I didn't want you to think I was... Well, I didn't want you to think I was just some nobody. Oh, you see, old sport, I'm... I'm going to make a very big request of you today. A big request? Yes. Miss Baker will explain everything when you take her to tea this afternoon. Yeah, uh, a big request. Uh, it's, it's hilarious how it, he... Yeah, you can feel like how he's pitching, uh, and you can see the parallel with the start of people. There's also this question whether is he self-made? But he had a grand vision for his life and Daisy's part in it. It wasn't until the end of that summer, on the last night I saw Gatsby, that he told me of the life he had dreamed for himself since he was a boy. You see, Doctor, Gatsby's real name was James Gats. His parents were dirt poor farmers from North Dakota, but he never accepted them as his parents at all. In his own imagination, he was a son of God, destined for future glory. Chasing this destiny, a 16-year-old Gats ran far, far away. One afternoon, off the coast of Lake Superior, he spotted a yacht in peril. He rowed out and rescued the vessel and its captain, alcoholic millionaire Dan Cody. You're gonna hit the shoal! Come on, sir, we're gonna hit the shoal! What the hell are you doing? This was his opportunity, and he seized it. And I decided right then and there to call myself Jay Gatsby. He sailed the yacht out of danger and into his future. Gatsby showed skill and ambition, and for five years they sailed the world. It was all right, old Dan. He taught me everything. How to dress, act, and speak Gatsby. like a gentleman. Jay Gatsby. She looks well, doesn't she? Gatsby hoped to inherit Cody's fortune. Old sport. But when Cody died, Gatsby was cheated of his inheritance by Cody's family. He'd been left with the ability to play the gentleman, but he was once again dirt poor. By midsummer, Gatsby was front page news. Where did the money come from? That's what all of New York wanted to know. And it was the same question on Tom's mind when he accompanied Daisy to one of Gatsby's glittering parties. So yeah, it's sort of like this glooming question of where his money come, 
comes from. <laughs> Probably ran some crypto project or something, right? Um, he comes from a very humble beginning from North Dakota. You can probably, it, the, the, the places in the U.S. work at just as well. You can also draw from other places uh, outside of the U.S. as the startup world is full with immigrants from, from most like Asia, Africa, and Latin America are, I think, good candidates for, well, coming from humble begin, beginnings. Also, he, he chooses his own, he decides what to call himself. He goes from Jay, James Gatz to Jay Gatsby. Very, I think, interesting parallel from a man who calls himself Satoshi Nakamoto. He decides his own name. That's not his given name. There's, uh, he meets a crazy rich guy. Uh, that meets this kid that comes from out of like nowhere and decides to put a big bet on him. And he also develops his own vernacular. And well, both are optimists. Both want to make money. They want to get the girl. Those three things are true. But most importantly, they want to get a clean slate. The start the startup guy, the startup bro, the tech bro, wants a clean slate too. Wants to go back to the future. There's this great point in this interview with Pierre Thiel that he makes it the same point. Answer. All right, so here's the last question, Peter. You're still investing, but you're teaching classes at Stanford, you're fielding telephone calls from the White House. At this stage in your life, what are you trying to accomplish? You all, you, you're, you're famous for saying having a plan, you, you may not follow the plan, but having a plan is better than no plan. What are you thinking over the next five years or 10 years for you? Well, I, you know, I, I don't know, this, is, this, always, this always sounds too, too ambitious or too grandiose, but you, I, you know, I, 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 um, I would like to get our, our society. I would our, like our society to get back to the future, to get back to, um, to a society that's that's, uh, you know, um, progressing in, in all these, um, all these important dimensions, uh, and there's sort of a, you know, there's sort of a very local way of doing that, which is investing in futuristic technology companies. So that's a small, you know, manageable way you do this. And then there's sort of our, you know, broader conversations like the one we're having today, where um, we try to we try to get people to to think about this topic. But he makes this great point, the same point of trying to get back to the future. If I can only get back to the start, I can find it again. So. If we establish that the tech pros are Gatsby and Tom Buchanan is the old money globalist, how, does, how do we beat the globalists? There's this problem because, well, Gatsby dies at the end, right? So the question is, do you kill Buchanan? That's the wrong answer. You're, if you're thinking this, 
you're thinking like Wilson. And this is not a good end. And this is not something that someone who is actually a player to make a difference would think or even attempt to do. Not even in the cards. There's no point uh, in you'll just do not, you'll accomplish nothing and you're sacrificing yourself for nothing. So if you, if you cannot see that, you are Wilson. There's, and there's nothing I, else I can say to convince you otherwise. But if you're not Wilson, and maybe you are closer to Gatsby or Nick Haraway, or maybe even Tom or Daisy, you'll start asking different questions. What is the problem with Buchanan? Why isn't he like Gatsby? Especially in this optimism, because Buchanan is not, is not optimist at all. Even at parties where he gets introduced, he says, like, I, I really don't want to be the polo player. Right? He's ashamed of himself in some way and feels like Gatsby, sort of like this shining guy that everyone is lo looking at. And yeah, it's like resentment, some jealousy, probably also shame part of himself. The main problem, I think, is that he doesn't believe. He doesn't believe in himself, really. Doesn't believe in any narrative that is flowing around him. He doesn't believe in where he's, like, where he's living, the reason he's living there, uh, the, peop the, the reason why he's married. She's with his wife all the time. He also doesn't give a crap when his uh, mistress gets killed. Doesn't care. He doesn't care about anything. He doesn't believe in anything. The question here, if we are to fix the situation in the world that we're in, is not to think like Wilson, but I think it's actually to try to think like Gatsby. What would Gatsby do in this situation? Well, he does it. He throws great parties. <laughs> but what does that mean? Um, it, it means literally throwing parties, but it also means just being cooler. It's just being, having this freshness of ideas, of, of, of having fun about any sort of like circumstances that are flowing around, make jokes about himself. Like oh, there's a joke of like, is he a son of the Kaiser? of the, this evil emperor. Uh, and that doesn't matter. He's like, everyone's there at the party. Everyone's having a great time. Uh, everyone's attracted to him. And not only to his wealth, of course, but also sort of like this mysterious idea of what he is. And I think the mistake that Gatsby makes in this sense probably is to try not throw the parties in a way to try to lure Daisy. If he wanted to get with the girl, he probably should have throw the, 
through the he should have thrown the parties to lure Tom of all people. Uh, just basic mimetic theory. If Tom looks up to him, then Daisy looks up to him. And well, here on this point of the parties, what is what is the purpose of the parties? Is it the here's the different points. The, to get the girl not quite, get the girl from the past closer, to get back to the past. That's almost there, but it's actually to get back to the past, to get a clean slate towards an optimistic future that uh, he wants to live. He wants his life to be like this. So, Actually, in this trying to revival of the Gatsby American dream, I think there's sort of like in it, there's also the impetus to trying to revive the first American dream, the Jefferson American dream. So, because why do you want a clean slate? Um, and he talks about it at the end. After Gatsby's death, New York was haunted for me. That city. My once golden, shimmering mirage now made me sick. On my last night in New York, I returned to that huge, incoherent house once more. Wolfsheim's associates had cleaned it out. She threw all those parties hoping she'd wander in one night. It's like an amusement park. How do you think She makes it look so, so splendid. Don't you think old sport? Music. And then we can dance all Will you come, old sport? We need you. I wish it could always be like this. It will be. I remembered how we had all come to Gatsby's and guessed at his corruption. While he stood before us, concealing an incorruptible dream. It's perfect. Your perfect, irresistible imagination. The moon rose higher. And as I stood there brooding on the old, unknown world, I thought of Gatsby's wonder when he first picked out the green light at the end of Daisy's dock. He had come such a long way, and his dream must have seemed so close that he could hardly fail to grasp it. but he did not know that it was already behind him. Gatsby believed in the green light, the orgastic future that year by year recedes before us. It eluded us then, but that's no matter. Tomorrow we will run faster, stretch out our arms farther, and one fine morning. So we beat on, boats against the current, Born back ceaselessly into the past. 
after into the past last words back to the future that's what I think it means and when you say back to the future that's that's the reason he's throwing his parties he's trying to get back to the future peers into that closed frontier that killed the first American dream. And how, how, do, we, how do we go about doing that? How, how do we leverage a cultural moment uh, of parties of having this attraction of bringing people towards us and break into the frontier? Well, I have some ideas. One is definitely create new technologies. Bitcoin is just, I think, in this slide, a flag is, is, that represents technology in general. It's probably one of the most important ones that we have, but we need more. And people need to work on them to open up the frontier that has been closed. Break sports records. Bring the limit of your body into fruition and just break whatever record the past generations had set and just engrave your name into history. Create beautiful art, innovative art. Las Meninas from Cervantes here is a great example in which it's not only a gorgeous painting with great technique, but also he's experimented with the physics of the painting in which Cervantes is in the painting. He is himself painting the painting of the king and the queen, which you can see in the back of the mirror, giving you the spot in which you are the royalty looking at Cervantes painting you. This is really completely revolutionary at his pure in time. And it's a beautiful painting. New art doesn't have to be ugly. It just doesn't have to be ugly. We need to do, we need to get off the rock. We need to actually make the space frontier. We need to do seasteading. We need to create these polities in the middle of the ocean so we can get away from a lot of this crowded land in which there's so many rules and so many laws that are just extremely hard to change because it's just the machinery of bureaucracy is extremely hard to move. And trying to do the same thing, but in land too, trying to build new polities, new cities with different new government systems. Uh, in inland, in, in hopefully in places that th there aren't any people, or at least there are very, very few people, and they opt in, like new cities in which they're opt in and we can experiment with 
new different set of rules so we can figure out better ways to live. That's, that's how we open the frontier. And that's how we revive the American dream. And, and in this sense, it's actually trying to make it so that it never died. To go back to the start so we can find it again.